You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. We have been in a series, The Hall of Faith, and we've been looking at some of our Old Testament heroes, and today we're going to look at Esther. Um, But before we do, I have one more announcement, and I can do this because I'm in the intern director, and we are putting on a tea for women and young ladies at the church, and it is called Clothed in Courage, the Queen's Tea for such a time as this. And so this is May 4th, and I hope that you can be a part of that. So you'll hear more about it, and there'll be a place where you can register and buy tickets for that. Well, this morning in the book of Esther... This is such a fascinating story. I mean, truly, it is, has every part of a, you know, one of these made-for-TV epic movie type things, because it is amazing, and it's all historical. It's not a fairy tale. It's a true story, but it is a story of a kingdom where you have king, kings and queens and orphans and cousins and villains. It's in the third year of King Xerxes' reign, and he threw an extravagant party. And this followed 180 days of just celebrating as well his wealth and his you know, kingdom and who he is and all those kinds of things that he was just, just a partying king is what he was. But for seven days and night, he threw this extravagant, opulent party it says that the courtyards were, were um, hung with linen from the marble pillars and that there were gold and silver couches set on mosaic um, patios um, that were laid in beautiful stone and mother of pearl. And it says in um, Esther 1, 7 through 9, it says, Drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs. So everybody had a, their own designed gold goblet. And there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking. For the king had instructed all of his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. And at the same time, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. Well, so this went on for seven days. And on the seventh day, the scriptures say that when King Xerxes was half drunk with wine, he called for the queen. He wanted her to come. He wanted to show her off. He told her to wear her crown. He wanted all of his buddies to see what a beautiful queen he had. And so when he summoned her, um, she said, "Uh, nope, (laughs) not going to happen. I'm not coming. And so that didn't set well with him, as you can imagine. And so instead of going to her and talking to her, he went to his buddies and said, you know, this is what she said, what should I do? And their advice was, because they'd been partying for seven days too, um, to banish the queen because this trend could not catch on. We cannot let our wives think they can say no to us. So... King Xerxes, fueled with excess and alcohol, made a major relational decision, and he banished the queen, and they were going to look for a new queen. So out with Queen Vashti, 
and let's gather all the young, beautiful virgins in the kingdom with our quest for the new queen. So that was their solution, and that's what they decided they were going to do. This is where Esther enters the story. With, with a degree that was sent out throughout the kingdom, they were seeking the new queen. Esther um, was found, and she found favor. And she was found with favor, and she was brought to the palace, and she was given special treatment. Now, Esther is an orphan, and she was adopted by her older cousin, Mordecai. It says in Esther 2.7, this man, which is Mordecai, had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. This took place in the Babylonian Empire in 465 B.C. Now, to get a kind of an idea of what was happening then, the Jews had been taken captive, and they were um, all sent to Babylon. And it was during this era that Ezra and Nehemiah were able to take remnants of those captives back to Jerusalem, and Ezra began rebuilding the temple, and Nehemiah began rebuilding the wall. But there was still a remnant of Jews that were still captive in Babylon. And so this is where uh, Esther and uh, Mordecai, they were part of that remnant that were still in Babylon under the Persian rule. So she's taken to the palace, and Mordecai instructed Esther before she went to keep her Jewish heritage a secret. And then daily, Mordecai would go to the palace, and he would check up and see how Esther was doing. So Mordecai was this really honorable father figure to Esther, and a man who was also very loyal to King Xerxes. One day, when Mordecai was at the palace, he overheard the guards, the palace guards. They were discussing a plan for an assassination to the king. And so he gets this information, he hears this information, and he goes to Esther. He sends a message to Esther and says, Esther, you need to let the king know this. The palace guards are planning to kill him. So Esther goes to the king, and she tells him what, ha what, what she's heard. And she, tells all, she also tells the king that it was Mordecai who heard this, and she's passing on this information. And she gives the credit to Mordecai. Well, an investigation happened, and they found it to be true, and the guards were hung. And then it was duly recorded in the book of history of King Xerxes' reign. That's very important. Every detail in the story is important. Now, with every kingdom, you have haters, you have power seekers, and you have self-promoters. And here enters Haman. So Haman um, is this man who is extremely arrogant, he's power-hungry, he's a narcissist by every part of what a narcissist is, that's Haman. He's mean and he's cruel and he's the worst of the worst. Haman also holds a high position in the kingdom. He is, and then he expects everyone, as he walks by, to bow down to him. But Mordecai refuses. 
And this infuriates Haman to the extent that he wants to hang Mordecai from the gallows. And then he hears that Mordecai is a Jew. And so that even fuels him more. And now he has this plan to kill, slaughter, and annihilate the entire Jewish race. So he's fueled by hatred. And Haman goes to the king, and he persuades the king that this is what should happen. And so we read in Esther 3.8 that then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There is a certain race of people scattered through all of the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the law of the king. So it is so it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it pleases the king, issue a decree that they will be destroyed. So this letter was written, the stamp of the king was put on it, and it was sent out to all the provinces. It says in Esther 3.13, dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year, and the property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. So there was a high incentive for this to happen. Then the scriptures say that the king and Haman sat down and had a drink, and the city fell into confusion. You can imagine this going out, and they're all of a sudden going, what is going, what is going on? The Jews, they fasted, they wept, they wailed. They laid in sackcloth and ashes. It was a terrible, terrible time. And Mordecai, when he hears this, he sends a request to Esther through a servant. And the message said, go before the king and plead for your people. Esther sends back a message to Mordecai. She goes, you know, the whole world knows that if I go before the king without him holding out his gold scepter, I'm doomed to die. Mordecai sends back his reply, and he says this in Esther 4.14, don't think that just because you live in the king's house, you're the one Jew who will get out of this alive. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else, but you and your family will be wiped out. Who knows? Maybe you were made queen for such a time as this. Esther comes back with this message. Gather all the Jews. Have them fast for me for three days. Then I'll go to the king if I must die, I'm willing to die. So three days later, Esther goes before the king and he holds out his scepter. And the king overwhelmingly um, invites her into his inner courts. And he says to her, what do you want, Esther? I'm willing to give you half of my kingdom. Esther says, come to a banquet today with Haman. So they go to the banquet. 
And at the banquet, the king again says, Esther, what do you want? I'll give you half of my kingdom. And her request was, please come with Haman tomorrow to another banquet that I'll prepare for you. With this, because Haman's there, and because he's so arrogant and full of himself anyway, he is so proud, um, he goes home, and it says in Esther 5, 9 through 14, this. Haman left the palace that day happy, beaming. And then he saw Mordecai sitting at the king's gate, ignoring him, oblivious to him. Haman was furious with Mordecai, but he held himself in and went on home. He, put his, he got his friends together with his wife, Zerish, and started bragging about how much money he had, had his many sons, all the times the king had honored him, and his promotion to the highest position in the government. On top of all that, Haman continued, Queen Esther invited me to a private dinner she gave for the king, just the three of us, and she's invited me to another one tomorrow. But I can't enjoy any of it when I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. His wife, Suresh, and all his friends said, build a gallows 75 feet tall. First thing in the morning, speak with the king, get him to order Mordecai hung on it, then happily go with the king to dinner. Haman liked that. He had the gallows built. That night, the king can't sleep. He has insomnia. He calls an attendant, an attendant of the palace to come and read some boring historical records of the kingdom. Coincidentally, the part that he's reading, the king discovers the plot to assassinate him and how Mordecai had prevented that from happening. And so the king asks the attendant, he says, has Mordecai ever been recognized for this? Has he ever been honored? Well, now it's morning. And the sun's coming up, and just then he sees Haman coming in, and he's outside the court, and, and he sees him, and he invites him to come in. And he says to Haman, because Haman's there to ask the king to hang Mordecai. And he says, hey, Haman, come in. What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? In Esther 6.6, 6, it says this, Haman thought to himself, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? So Haman says, put one of your royal robes on him and then set him on the royal horse with the royal emblem on the horse's head. Then lead him through the city, shouting, this is what happens to the man who wishes the, wish, that the, the king wishes to honor this is what happens to the man the king wishes to honor. The king's going, excellent idea. <laughs> Esther 6.10 says, excellent, the king said to Haman, quick, take the robes of my horse and do just as, as you said for Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you have suggested. <laughs> So Haman put the robe on Mordecai 
had him on the royal, put him on the royal horse, as you can imagine. I mean, he's just probably fuming and leads him through town shouting. This is what happens to the man that the king wishes to honor. He goes home dejected and completely humiliated. It wasn't long before there was a, a knock at the door, and it was a palace official summoning Haman to the banquet that Queen Esther had invited him to. So he goes to the banquet, and the king again asked Esther, Esther, what is your request? Well, this time Esther says, I ask that my life and the life of my people be spared. Then she points to Haman. She says, this man, Haman, is trying to kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Well, the story goes that Haman is hung on the gallows. He commissioned for Mordecai to be hung on. And Mordecai is promoted to the second highest position in line of the king. And then the king sends out a new decree that every Jew could defend his family and his property. It says in Esther 9.22, he, Mordecai, told them to celebrate these days with fasting and gladness and by giving gifts of food to each other and presents to the poor. It goes on in verse 22 of chapter 9 of Esther. This would commemorate a time when the Jews gained relief from their enemies, when their sorrows were turned into gladness and their mourning into joy. This is what they call the festival of Purim. And actually, Purim was just celebrated this last week. It was on the 20th and 21st of March this year. And still, Jews around the world celebrate this as the day that God rescued them. <sighs> now, the interesting thing about Esther, besides that fascinating story, is that Esther, in the book of Esther, God is never mentioned. His name is never mentioned, not once. But his fingerprints are all over it. But why not mention God? You know, that's, it's in the Bible. The story is in the Bible. I think there are times, there are moments in life that God seems nowhere to be found. I don't see him. I don't sense him. I don't feel him. God appears invisible. God, where are you? And there's a name for this. When we don't see God, but we, if we're, if we're attentive, we see his fingerprints on things. And that, that name is providence. And the definition of providence is God's faithful activity throughout history to provide for his creation and accomplish his will. God is in the background, controlling the foreground. Nothing surprises God. He's never caught, caught off guard. He is sovereign. The book of Esther is in the Bible 
because there will be times that you will not be able to trace God, but you'll need to trust God. God is sovereign and he's providential. Sovereign is what he wants to happen. Providence is how he makes it happen. Every turn of the page in Esther, we see his sovereign reign. Xerxes might have been king, but God is clearly the sovereign ruler. Esther. Now you look at Esther. She's an orphaned Jewish girl living in the lowest social class in captivity in a land and a culture not her own. And she's placed in a super world power position, queen of the Persian Babylonian Empire. That is God's providence. Esther was given a mega opportunity to be part of God's divine plan. So what do we do? What do you do? What do I do when opportunity knocks? Because obviously, opportunity knocked really loud at Esther's door. With every opportunity, there's a few, four things I want to talk, talk about um, as I continue this morning on opportunities. With every opportunity, there will be obstacles. God opportunities are often disguised as, optic, uh, as obstacles. One of those very obvious ones in our life is busyness. We're always busy. We cram our lives with so much. Our schedule is so tight. And so when opportunities come along, we don't even, even see them because we don't have the time, we don't have the energy, we don't have the capacity in our life to even recognize some of the opportunities that God has brought along. The other thing about opportunities, they're never convenient. <laughs> so you have to realize that, and it's okay. Thomas Edison said this, we often miss opportunities because it shows up in overalls and it looks like work. <laughs> so to understand that these are opportunities we don't want to miss, we also say sometimes as obstacles, I'm too young or I'm too old, will always have an excuse. Or this one, I know it's been used, and I've thought this at times, and then I had to stop saying it because I realized my life will never be completely together. I need to get my life together first. And then, when opportunity knocks, I'll be ready. Could it be, could it be that your broken places are the very thing that God uses for his opportunity in your life. We impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. Those are opportunities we don't want to miss. Esther is an orphan. She's a slave living in captivity. Her experience with pain and injustice could have been used as excuses, and certainly they were obstacles. But could those very things be exactly the tools she needed for this opportunity? Through adversity, we become resilient 
Through adversity, we, we gain strength and we gain, gain courage and we become strong. It's through adversity that these things happen. The injustice that she experienced as a slave in a foreign land prepared her to take the bold steps. And she knew what it cost. She counted the cost. Esther 4.16 says, If I must die, I'm willing to die. We can discover purpose in our pain. If we can handle the obstacles, God can provide us with the opportunities. I think they're a test. If you can handle the obstacles, then I can trust you with the opportunities. Our mission must be bigger than our sorrows. Don't miss the opportunity to connect with others through your story, through your vulnerability, through your weaknesses. Those will actually be your strengths. The other thing about opportunities, almost all opportunities are delivered through people. God sends the opportunities, but God used a secular king to provide an opportunity for Esther. He used Mordecai. Mordecai was at the right place, at the right time, to hear about the assassination plot. But it was God's provincial plan. Esther aligned herself with Mordecai. God uses people to strengthen us and to sharpen us. So who are we aligning with? This is a good example. And I'm not saying it just because I'm in the intern director, but it's a great example. When a young adult says yes to the internship, they say yes knowing a certain amount of what they can expect. They take it and they, you know, they're aligning themselves with these people for this period of time. And, but the things that they don't really know until they've said yes is they are going to be, in, be with these incredible teachers and mentors and coaches that rub shoulders with them through various opportunities along the way. They know they're going to go to CBC, but they don't realize the richness, the connection, the community of the instructors and teachers and students that pour into them. When they say yes, they understand that there's going to be certain things that they're going to be involved in, but then they go to MTI, which is Ministry Training Institute, and then they discover, oh my gosh, I'm growing, I'm experiencing healing and freedom. They didn't know that when they said yes. Then there's this incredible generosity that they experience through their host homes and the host parents, and then they discover the support from this church family. They know they're going to travel some, but traveling across the world, they didn't even know a little bit about Caleb and Daniel and what that would bring to their lives when they went to Kenya and now their fellow students with them. No one truly knows where our yes will take us. It isn't until we say yes 
that God can show us. We align ourselves with other people wanting to go in the same direction we want to go. Alignment is more important than assignment. Who are you aligning yourselves with? That is why we open doors here. We encourage small groups and Bible studies and many other opportunities because the door is open. The door to opportunities is open. And we have no idea how big that door is until we walk through it. So don't, don't hesitate at the door. Walk through it because it's much better than you think. The other thing about opportunities is opportunities widen for those who patiently prepare. You know, I recounted the entire story of Esther in approximately 11 or 12 minutes. Life isn't that fast. Her life took a lot longer than that. It was in the third year of King Xerxes' reign that Esther was brought to the palace. But it wasn't until the seventh year that she was made queen. Four years from Esther 1 to Esther 2. Four years since Xerxes got mad at Queen Vashti. Four years of preparation. Even though we live in a high-speed internet world, we need to learn to wait. We're going to wait one way or another. If you've gone into Portland any time recently, <laughs> there's a lot of traffic. And if you ask for patience, you're going to get a lot of traffic <laughs> in all, of, all kinds of areas of your life. But the real question is, what does waiting look like with a good attitude? Patience is the ability to wait with the right attitude. Am I willing to prepare for the opportunity God has for me? Am I willing to wait? Esther waited to ask the king. She, she prepared by asking for prayer. In fact, well, she didn't say prayer, but she asked for fasting. And in my opinion, that probably involves some prayer too. She prepared by asking for prayer and fasting from the Jews. She waited three days. That's a long time when your life is on the line and the life of all your people are on the line. Then she waited until the second day, the second banquet, to actually give and make her request to the king. It would have been really tempting that first time when she had the, the king's attention and his company to say what she wanted to say, but she waited because God's provincial work was at hand. Because what happened between the first day and the second day is when the king couldn't sleep. He was asking for the records to be read. He heard the account of Mordecai saving him from the assassination plot. Opportunities widen for those who patiently prepare. And then you have to ask yourself, am I living like God is already doing what I'm waiting for? Am I living like God is already doing what I'm waiting for? 
I'll go to a small group when I know more people. No, you won't. If you're not doing it now, you won't. Do it now. I'll talk to my neighbor, I'll talk to my friend, I'll talk to my coworkers. Once I go to that apologetics class and I really learn more, then I'll tell them about Jesus. No, you won't. Do it now. I'll give when I'm making more money. No, you won't, because you'll just be asked to give more money. <laughs> Do it now. I'll go, I'll serve, I'll risk, win. No, you won't. Do it now. Live like God is already doing what you're waiting for. Prepare by saying yes now to the opportunities that will get you to the next opportunity. And lastly, this morning, opportunities from God are always bigger than you. All the opportunities I've been given are way bigger than me. There's no way I could be director of the internship when they asked me that five years ago. I remember as a college student at Bible college thinking, I don't want to be a pastor's wife. I didn't think I had what it took. I didn't play the piano. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I was scared to death to speak in public. And I just, you know, but God's opportunities are way, way bigger than I am. Way bigger than you are. He doesn't promote us, though, just to promote us. He doesn't give us big opportunities just to give us big opportunities. He gives us big opportunities so we can give others big opportunities. And that's why we need to be ready when opportunity knocks. Do the things you want God to do. Take those steps now. Walk through those doors. Don't be afraid. Those are obstacles that will always be in the way of wonderful opportunities. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. If you would make your way forward now, that would be wonderful. And then I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. And, um, but I want to just challenge you this morning because we do have people who will be praying for you. You see them. They're there. Don't miss an opportunity this morning for prayer, for healing, for breakthrough. I don't know about you, but there's always something in my life I need someone to align with who, says, who, would, who I can say to, would you pray with me for this? I'm believing God for this. I need God to break through here. And there may be some here that have never said yes to God. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. These people are here to pray with you. They can lead you into that relationship that you want. So don't miss the opportunity this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Because you're a sovereign God and you're a providential God. You make things happen in our lives. Sometimes we have no clue on what you're doing, where you are, but you are working in our lives. You care for us. You are aware and you care. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the book of Esther. Father, we trust you when we don't see you. 
because you radically love us. So thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these people. We give you the glory and the honor this morning in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.